Okay. <coughs> so we're talking about Asar Beteves, uh, the tenth of Sefers. And um, last week we mentioned a, um, uh, we mentioned, we brought that the, the, in, it's brought in the Kolboi and in other places it's attributed as early back. It, it's, it's brought to Megillus Tanis Basra and it's attributed as early back as to the time of the Ga'inim that there's this fast on, um, on the, sorry, the Kolboi. Yeah. Um, that, that, that the fact there's a fast in the ninth of Tevis, and we don't, our rabbis do not tell us what it's about. And we discussed various different um, possibilities of what it's all about. Um, one, of the, one of the ideas that we mentioned was that, um, that the ninth of Tevis is the birthday of Yashka. And um, I want to dive into that a little bit more. And then talk about some other um, possibilities um, that are that are out there. So there is a sefer called Sefer Ha'ibur. Sefer Ha'ibur is a very important work written by by Rabbi Avram Bar Chiam, who lived in um, he lived a long time ago. He lived like in the 12th century, I think. Um, does it say here? Yeah, 11th and 12th century. Now Sefer Ibur Rabbi was basically an astronomer. He's like the first person who wrote anything to do with like Torah and science, kind of, you know, obviously in a very ancient way. Um, he was very prominent. The Rambam praises him in his Pirisha Mishnayas. Um, and his book is a very important book. What's interesting about his book is that even though he wrote it as far back as the 11th and 12th century, it wasn't published. I mean, obviously people had manuscripts, but it, was never, it wasn't published until as late as the 18th or possible 19th century. When was Gutenberg? Sorry? When was the Gutenberg? It started during the printing. Oh, the printing. Printing started in the 14th century, I think. No, 15th century. Okay, so it wasn't printed, but it was 200 years before printing. It wasn't published. It wasn't. It was never publicly or, or widely available, even for hundreds of years after the printing press started. Mm -hmm. um, until I, I, let's see, I'm trying to see if it says exactly when it was first printed. Um, it was not published until 1851. Okay, now Rabbi Rav was primarily, he was a philosopher, he was an astronomer, he was all sorts of good stuff. But um, yeah, primarily he was, he was, he was, he was known, he, he, Sefer Ibu certainly is a book about um, the calendar. That's what Sefer Ibu means. <laughs> And um, he was very good into making calculations and all that stuff. So he made this calculation that in the year one of the common era, the 25th of December fell on the 9th of Tevis. Now, bingo, there you have it. December 25th, the birthday of Ish, matches up with the 9th of Tevis. The problem with this is, and Zevah Ibu himself points to this problem, he says, I don't really believe that his birthday was on December 25th. And nowadays, we know a lot more about um, how the December 25th date came about, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and besides that, um, it's also pretty much um, agreed by all historians, as far as I know, that he actually wasn't born in the year one BCE. I think some say he was in the year one in the second, in two, and three, and six. There's all different opinions of exactly when he was born, but it wasn't 2,022 years ago. Um, so exactly how that the, the the Georgian or Julian calendar started counting from one and how that came about, but it certainly wasn't to do with his birth. And so this kind of pops a hole into the whole into the whole. Um, theory that Tastavis is the birthday of Isahish. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but I'll reference if you want somebody who, who talks about this at great length about the history of December 25th. There is a rabbi in Florida by the name of Pinchas Taylor. He's written a, a number of books, some of his books we have in the library here. And a couple of years ago, he did a whole talk on the history of, of Mittelnacht and December 25th. And um, he goes, through, he, he, he really goes through it with the, you know, he has all the historical sources. Um, it's on YouTube, Google Pinchas Taylor, December 25th, you'll find it. Um, uh, ask me for the link if you can't find it. Anyway, 
but so 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 the the, the source to suggest that Joshua was born in Tastavis is basically from the Sefer Ibor, and he himself pokes a hole into the whole theory and he says it doesn't seem to be. Um, he says, I'll read you his words. He says, "Ain't other mom in the Devarim. I don't believe their words that they say that his um, that, that that he was born on Bechaf Hey Daikper, which is 25th of December." Um, Anybody know what Ongolion is? It's a word that's been found in the Gemara also. Think, think of the Hebrew letters over here. Aleph, Vav, Nun, Gimel, Lamed, Yud, Vav, Nun. It means the New Testament. Av- evangelical. It's the same word as evangelical. Oh, evangelical. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that he was born on December 25th. And in fact, apparently, I don't know, maybe you know Timothy. In in the in 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 the it, apparently it talks about his birth being associated with with springtime or certain things going on in the fields or whatever. Like it, it, there's different theories amongst Christians of historians of exactly the sun saying was March, and there's all different dates of his birth. None of the historical dates seem to point to anywhere near December 25th. Um, and he says actually. Um, the 25th of December was a Yom Kaloin, a day of, Kaloin means of degradation, what's the word, uh, degradation, but it means like it was a day of celebration to the Gentiles for the, for the pagans, yeah, the for many, many years, and it was called the birth of the year and the birth of the sun, and because um, that's the time when the sun started to get right, that's, you just passed the equinox, and now the days are getting longer, so it's, the sun is getting stronger. So it was all connected to, 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 and basically what he's essentially saying, and again, you listen to this, this talk from Pichastero, which I listened to a while ago, um, it's it basically clear that, the, and I'll show you the sources for this in the Gemara, that actually um, the holiday of December 25th, um, as well as the holiday of New Year's, yeah, are basically very, very, very ancient pagan days of celebration celebrated by breaking all rules mm-hmm. enough said for a record right and and that this has been going on for millennia and the christians decided to make this to, instead of abolishing the pagan uh, holidays celebrations they just transformed them into religious ones and they said okay this is the new year and this is the birth and it's all good right now um, the, the history of this, and this as far as the, from the Gemara is fascinating because in the beginning of um, in the beginning of the Gemara of Edezara, it talks about not doing business with the idolaters around uh, within on the day and three days prior to their Yemei to their uh, to their to their pagan holidays, right? And it gives the Gemara gives talks about the Meshna, Sorry, it mentions three holidays: Kalanda. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. Kuflam and Dundaladalif. Satarnura and Yom Genusia. So, first of all, the Gemara says, What are these days? Kaladna and Satanura. So, Reb Khanan Barabba says that Kaladna is eight days after the Tkufa, after the equinox, and Satanura is eight days before the equinox. And basically, those are days that they celebrated. Now, we know, yeah, pagans, they're very into the sun and the moon, and the, the right? So it makes sense that they would have celebration of days around the equinox, right? The day is getting longer. Now it's the sun god, not the S-O-N, the S-U-N god, right? Um, and so in, in, this is from, this, this, this source is actually from a very interesting website, Rabbi Manning. I think it's rabbimanning.com, yeah. He's a, actually a British rabbi. I think he lives in Israel. He's always got good stuff. So he brings here the, the, the I'll read you his footnotes here, right? Kalends, the Mishnah says Kalend. Kalends was a Roman name for the new moon, hence the English word calendar. Interestingly, the Roman Saturnalia and Kalends festival were accompanied by drinking, et cetera, et cetera, um, dancing naked in the streets, giving gifts, and the general relaxing of legal rules, okay? Now, that, so that's the first one the Mishnah says. Then the Mishnah says Saturnura. He says some texts of the Mishnah read, read, read Saturnalia, which is the name of the Roman solstice festival, which held during the days leading up to the solstice and culminating with the birth of the unconquerable sun on December 23rd. Right? The Tverse Yisrael suggests that the Tverse Yisrael is a commentary on the Mishnah. 
he suggests that the name of it was changed purposely to some text from Saturnalia to Saturura, which means the light is on the side, in order not to mention the name of a pagan god, Saturn. Right? Which we actually discussed a few months ago about are you even allowed to say the name of the planets? Because you know, Saturn is the name of a planet, but actually it comes from pagan, right? Jupiter, Mars, Venus. Right, the days of the week also. Anyway, we discussed that a few months ago. Um, we gave a class. I think we did the class on that, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to see how these, uh, the Gemara talks about these days, and the Gemara clearly mentions how these days are a week before and a week after the, the, the solstice or the equinox, whatever it is. And um, the equinox, right? And um, I forget which one is which, but basically the end of December. on there because somehow we lost connection but because you stayed on the recording did not get interrupted all right okay so and 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 basically the other Harishan uh, instituted them and and then they were later taken and by the pagans into these days of just the letting loose um it says like this other Harishan saw that the days were getting shorter and he said woe is to me Perhaps, this is the Gemara in Navidazara, perhaps it's because of my sin of eating from the tree that Hashem said, I'm going to get, uh, he's going to give me death. Maybe this is the death. You see, the days are getting shorter and shorter. Um, and so he, he, he stayed, he said, he was, for eight days, he was fasting and, and praying. Then he saw that he came to Tkufas Tevis, to the, to the, where the days started getting longer. And he's like, oh, this is not my uh, my Avera. This is the Damin Hagishalam. This is how the world, this is how it works. And therefore he made an eight-day celebration. So before the the Tkufa, he had an eight-day um, fasting, followed by eight day of celebration. And the next year he made those eight days into a Yamtiv, right? So think about the eight days around the Tkufa, around the birth of the sun. December 25th, eight days till January 1st, marked by Xmas and, and New Year's. This is clearly has a history that goes way back um, to the pagans, way back to Adam Harishan, and um, has nothing to do um, historically with the birth of Yashka. So this whole theory, which was really exciting that, and it really added up, because if, if Yashka was born on the, on, the on the 9th of Tevis, then it makes sense why Chazal wouldn't tell us why are we fasting? Because that wouldn't go down so well. So, right? So what are we going to do with this? So there's actually another fascinating suge um, suggestion, and thank you, Yaakov, for bringing, pointing my attention to it. Um, before that, before that, I should mention also there's one important source that I did not come across last week, but it's, uh, it's Seifa Kabbalah Leharivit. Seifa Kabbalah Leharivit, there's a number of Ravids. The famous, perhaps the most famous Ravid is the Ravid who has his glasses on the Rambam. And he, I think he's the third or the second, he's the third rivet. And he lived in province in 1125 to 1198, provinces in France. Um, so that's the third rivet. The first rivet um, lived in, born 1110 to 1180, so 12th century in Spain. And he has a book called Sefer Kabbalah. And he says, so in, we know there was, a, there was a very prominent Jew in Spain called Reb Shmuel Hanogit. I don't know all the history, but I understand that he was basically the prime minister of Spain, and he was a very famous Jew. And so Sefer Kabbalah Arrive writes as follows, that he had a son who um, took him, who uh, Al-Kanai, I don't know if it means he was his successor, or he uh, he helped him, was his right-hand man. His name was Rabbi Yosef Hanogit. And he had all the tremendous virtues that his father had, except he wasn't an anvison like his father. He wasn't as humble as his father. 
big Y. Why was he humble? Because he grew up in wealth and he never had, uh, he never carried any burdens. He was never had any any trouble. He never had to work hard for anything. But he started, so he became very haughty. And because he was uh, a haughty, the Karni, Sarni pushed him, were jealous of him. Now Sarni pushed him, can't be literal because he pushed him in Spain, but it means that the, the, the local Goyim were jealous of him. And he was killed on the Shabbos on the 9th of Tevis in the year 4,860. Um, 4,860 corresponds to, somebody do the math. Um, yeah, now we're uh, almost a thousand years ago, just less than a thousand years ago, yeah? And he says that this is why they instituted a fast on the, 10th of, on the 9th of Tevis. And this is also why they didn't tell us why, what, what it was for, because it hadn't yet happened. It was instituting a fast for something that was going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. um, the rabbi mentioned this Sefer Kabbalah. This is a, this, this is a, this Why do you keep saying ninth of Because that's what we're talking about. The Baha'i, the same Megillus Tanis, we talked about this last week. Megillus Tanis no, says- 10th, 10th. No, it's the ninth of Tavis, the three days. We said there's a fast on the eighth day, on the ninth day, and the 10th day of Tavis. And the eighth of Tavis, was that they tra translated the Torah, which we incorporate that in our Sikhs of the 10th of Tevis. The 9th of Tevis, right? mm -hmm. So he says that it was made uh, um, for the future because there was going to be this terrible program where Yosef Hamadim was killed. Um, there's a famous, in Chabad, famous chapter in, in Shalos Shuvas Menashemayim. Shalos Shuvas Menashemayim is a response. We've discussed this also at length. Well, is a response written by one of the Balayatistas where he had these, he would ask questions and have a revelation at night with answers to his question. And one of the answers to his question, it says that, um, that, uh, that Yutes Kislev, he, it was, he asked the question on Yutes Kislev. And before they answered his question, they told him that today is a Yom Basura. Today is a day of good news. Um, and um, there's other, there's more. There's like a line or two there about the significance of Yutas Kislev. Um, so, so, so what, what's special about Yutas Kislev? Oh, hundreds of years later, Yutas Kislev became a Yom Basura. So I didn't look this up, but uh, my friend, someone told me that the Rebbe was once talking about Yutas Kislev about this Shalos Shavuos Menashemayim, and the Rebbe said, you know, those are the people who are uncomfortable with you know, how could it be that Shalos Shavuos Menashemayim it says something about the future. That Yutas Kislev is a Yom Sura or something that happened hundreds of years later. The Rebbe said that the Ravid says the same thing. The Ravid says that Chazal instituted a fast on the 9th of Tevis for a pogrom that was going to happen hundreds of years later. Um, now, I did actually see online, uh, you know, I saw some people raising eyebrows about this, but there's another source that I found, which we're going to talk about this source more later, but this is a much more classical source, which is the Tashbits. The Tashbits is Tzemach ben Duran, I think. Um, very, mm. very, yeah, very important. Amr the Ran? Possibly, you could Google it. Very, very mm -hmm. important. Paisuk, philosopher. Yeah. Um, very, very important work. Uh, his most famous sefer is his Shalos Tashbits, but he wrote many others for him as well. And we're going to see this part of his Shuvah later in the class when we talk about Shabbos Bikamos. But, um, Part of the question with Shiva Asa Tammuz is why is the fast on the 17th of Tammuz when the Pasuk indicates that the walls to Jerusalem were actually breached on the 9th of Tammuz? So we're going to discuss this later, but one, one thing that the Tashbut says is, Shekach Kivno Hanavim Beruach HaKodesh, Shebishniya Tiboka Ha'ir Biyudzayin the Tammuz, that the prophets perceived with Ruach HaKodesh, with prophecy, that the second time round for the second temple, 500 years from now, the 500 years after the destruction of the first temple, give or take, yeah, the wall would be breached on the 17th of Tammuz. And therefore, for knowing with their foresight, with their Rechakadesh, that for many, many years the Jews would be fasting, um, commemorating the breach of the wall, they decided it would be more appropriate to fix it on a day which would be the, to us the most recent breach of the wall on the 17th of Tammuz rather than the 9th of Tammuz. Um, I haven't seen others quoting this source in this context, but I think it's a very important source because the Tashbits is a very prominent 
Pesach, and um, again, like I said, I heard somebody who I, I won't say his name, but somebody who said, oh, say for Kabbalah, I'm going to come out ridiculous, they instituted the fast because some of the programming to it that doesn't make any sense. But you see, the, 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 the Tashbits is certainly open to that idea of Chazal, or Chazal, or instituting a fast um, because of something that's going to happen in the future. Okay. Now, before we move on to the next thing, there's a very, in the very same Gemara, there's a very strange Rashi. Um, which we'll see later is not is, is only part of the Rashi, but this is the way the Rashi is printed in the Gemara. The Gemara says that um, again, mo- most of what I'm saying today is coming from RabbiManning.com, and Rabbi Manning is getting it from uh, from from Weiman uh, or something. But, um, but I've also added in some other some other sort of the way I I processed it, I guess. Um, all right, so he says, I just want to sort of give credit where credit's due. All right, so the Gemara says, the third, we had the, 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 the Kalans and Saturnalia, and then the Gemara says, Yom Genosia. What's Yom Genosia? So the Gemara says that Yom Genosia is the day when they coronate a king. Um, Frag the Gemara, how could the same Genusia mean the day that they coronate a king? Surely there's a Brysa which, which enumerates Genusia and the day that they coronate a king. So it can't be that Genusia means coronation of a king if there's a Brysa that is them as two separate occasions. And the Gemara says no. One is when they, um, you know, when they incarnate the father of the king, and one is when they incarnate the successor of the son of the king. So the Gemara, right, okay, the Gemara says, Do the Romans um, coronate? Children, they don't have. Uh, they have the the how do you call it the Caesar, which the which is uh, set in by a vote by the Senate. They don't have uh, hereditary that the the, the king the, the the Caesar dies and his son succeeds him. So how could it mean? How could you say that Yom Genusia means the day where the son is put in place as leader in place of his father? The Romans don't even do that, and I guess the assumption is that the mission is talking about the Romans. Um, right, and to quote to back this up, I mean, to back this up, he says he brings a passage from Avadia where it says in the cotton is Now, Avadia's Navua is about Edoim, and Edoim in Hazal is always associated with the Romans, right? So, cotton is I have made you the passage says, I have made you small amongst the nations. You are very, um, Bozui. How would you translate Bozui? Very uh, humiliated, very, very degraded. Mm-hmm. Let's see how the Rebbe the Arts Call translates it. Avadia. How many chapters are in the book of Avadia? Does anybody know? One. Yeah. That is one chapter, and it's the Haftarah. We just read it a few weeks ago. Um, and where is it? Pasuk 2, right at the beginning. Yeah. Behold, I have made you inferior amongst the nations. You are very despised. So what are these two things? How are they they, um, inferior and how are they despised? The Gemara says they are inferior because they don't have the hereditary monarchy. And they don't have a script or a language. The Romans don't have a script and a language. That's what the Gemara says. The whole discussion about the Melech and Melech I'm not going to get into. They don't have a constitution? Okay. Listen to what Rashi says. Rashi says, Ksavuloshin, they don't have a script or language. Shall Ramiim, the Ksavuloshin shall Ramiim, the script and the language of the Romans, the Umar Acheres Balahem came to them from another nation. So again, I don't know the, exactly the history of Latin and Greece and whatever. Yeah, basically, the, they don't have their own alphabet. Okay, fine. And then Rashi adds four words. Others fixed for them or wrote for them all of their books. The Romans don't have any books. That's what Rashi seems to be saying. Right? So, what does that even mean? Of course, the Romans do have many books. Um, and in Rabbi Manning, even puts the footnotes, the names of the books, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> and 
And um, right, but obviously the Romans have many books. What does it mean that they didn't write any books? And why is Rashi even saying that? How does that come in? How, how is that relevant to this Gemara that they don't have the script in the language and other people write their books? It's like everything that they do is pretty much borrowed from other yeah, other cultures, right? Okay. Language and okay, okay, and okay. Even, even the destruction of, of the base of Migdash, they got that from the from from <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now they have nothing nothing to offer. Really. Now, so we're going to see soon that actually. This Rashi is this Rashi is is censored. It's, it's, it was it was cut up because of the censor, but we do have from the what's it called the 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 full text of Rashi. But before we get to the full text of Rashi, we're going to get to the final theory about the fast of the ninth of Tavis. So there is a manuscript. We don't know what this manuscript is. It's Quoted anonymously by Rabbi Frankel. Rabbi Frankel, to him, um, most famous for his glasses to the Shukhanar, Hagos Baruch Frankel, Hagos Baruch Tam. He wrote other things also. Um, he writes, But Sasi Bixaviad, I found in a manuscript, Shates Teves, Niftar Shimon Hakalpus, that Shimon Hakalpus died on the ninth of Teves. Shaishia Shisrom with Saragadela, he saved the Jewish people from a great um, tsara, from great trouble. In the time of Peritzim, I think, I think in this context, Manha Peritzim means in the time of the early Christians. And in Jerusalem, his, the day of his <coughs> passing was fixed as an eternal fast. Okay, so we have this anonymous manuscript. Talks about some ambiguous Shimon HaKalpais who saved... The Jewish people from some unnamed um, Sarah and it's somehow associated Jerusalem because in Jerusalem his the, the day of his passing was um, was, was was fixed as a fast and that's the ninth of Tavis and that could perhaps help us understand I mean, it's not just Jerusalem it's a safe time in, in the Megillus Tanis Basra talks about by the way I made a mistake last week last week I said that Megillus Tanis is a very early Pretanaic work, which is true, but this is not Megillus Tanis, this is Megillus Tanis Basra, which is a later work, but still a very, very important work. Um, uh, so, <coughs> so what do you say? The Ninth of Tavis is the day that they didn't really specify, right? What happened that day. So Correct. That's the yeah. Now, then we have a similar comment Written in, brought here from the Reb Aaron of Vermeiser, Vermeiser's Worms. Vermeiser was the successor and student of the famous Shagis Arya, chief rabbi of Metz. Okay, Metz, I think, Vermeiser, I think they're close to each other. Anyway, so he writes similarly, Tanis Tesmatavis, Vesefer Zechronis, in some Sefer, in some historical book, Sefer Zechronis, a book of history. Raisi, I saw Al Petiras Shimon HaKalpani. Here before he was Shimon Akalpus, now he's Shimon Akalpani. Shehishlim the Yehudim, the Elimim of Neim. He had peace with the Jews, or he did something for the Jews, and it was hidden from them. Don't say who them is. And it makes sense because in Megillus Tanis it says that the, the rabbis didn't tell us what it was about, so it makes sense that it should be connected with his Shimon Akalpani, because, um, because. If it was him, then it makes sense that the Megillus would be afraid to tell us what it's about. Okay, so we have him called Shimon Hakalpoini, Shimon Shimon Hakalpus. Who is this guy? What's he all about? So there is a book which has never been um, widely published, and um, for understandable reasons, and it's called Toldes Yeshu, which is a Jewish version of the history of Yeshu Hanotzi. Of the founder of Christianity, I guess, right? Now, there's because it's sort of never been widely published, and there's also there's also versions of it, and all sorts of manuscripts of it. So it's like it's difficult to quote anything from there reliably, and there's some things are found in one version and not in the other. But we'll see soon that it's clear that both the Baron of Miser and the Baruch Frankel talking about this history book or this um, manuscript, which talks about the ninth of Tevis being the passing of Shimon al-Kalpais or Shimon al is referring to this book, Teodos Yeshua Anotsi. Now, in Teodos Yeshua Anotsi, 
it said, it, oh, now there's one version, one second. Okay. So in in Sefer in Tzadlus it says that there was a big problem with the early Christians because the early Christians. I mean, if you think about it in more recent history, you have the same problem with the with with with, with Sabbatianism by Shabtai Tzvi, where you had all these people um, who were part of the community, they were from the Shem Shabbos, they came to Shul, they with the Minyan, Talis, Tzvi, the whole thing, but they had the uh, Shabbat Tzvi, right? They believed in Shabbat Tzvi, and without getting the whole history of Shabbat Tzvi, eventually that kind of fizzled out, right? You had the same problem with the early Christians. They were regular Jews doing all the mitzvahs and doing all, all the, all the, you know, they were in Shul with everybody else kind of thing, but they, they, believed, in, they believed in Yashka, right? So the Torah Yeshua said that the sages decided they wanted to sort of get the Christians away. So they sent this person who's called in Torah Yeshua, not he's referred to as Shimon Kefa, Kefir, right? Shimon Akalpoini or something like that. Um, and he brings here, right? And basically they sent him to infiltrate Christianity, and he basically pretended to be a Christian, and he changed loads of things. He says, "Okay, we're not going to do Shabbos on Saturday. We're going to do it on Sunday. We're not going to do, uh, you know, instead of the New Year, we'll do this instead of this. We'll, do, you know, he changed so all the holidays." Paul. Yeah, we'll get there. There's pe- well, there's there's two people. There's Peter and Paul. I'm not sure who they are. I think this would more fit Paul's right. Okay, well, we'll see soon. Turn away from the mitzvahs. Yeah, basically, he turned them away from the mitzvahs, and therefore. This was like, now there was a clear divide. These are Christians, these are Jews, and never the twain shall meet. Um, he bring, in the footnote here, it says, the classical records of Esabias, whatever show, that Simon, son of Colopus, was a Jewish Christian leader and was Bishop of Jerusalem from the year 70 to 107. So basically, this Shimon HaKalfus is the Bishop of Jerusalem, right? That's why it was in Megillus Tannis. That's why it was a fast in Jerusalem. And he was the Bishop of Jerusalem, but really, he was a Jew who was doing all these things to... Um, Wait, in what, what, what was that? Was that in, this is in the year 70 to 107, it says. So contemporaries with those two, Peter and Paul. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't either then. Maybe it was a third. Maybe there was Shimon, Peter, and Paul. I don't, I don't know exactly. Well, one second. I'm gonna, there's going to be more in a minute. So... Um, all these new... Mm-hmm. Okay, again, the, the, the problem here is that there's different versions of Torah So some, some versions seem to say that Shimon is Paul. Some people say he was in addition to Paul, whatever it is. Now, there's one version of, of, um, of uh, Torah which he calls here the Hundreich version. Um, and over there it says that this Shimon HaKalpos, he was out in the Tower of Rome, um, he codified Christian laws and customs. Um, and it says there, he transformed the alphabet, giving the letters new names, thereby intimating to those in, in on the secret that what he ordained was false. The alphabet was A, B, C, D, E, F, etc. I'm reading from some translation. Yeah, I'm just, anyway. He was also composed, he also composed for them books of lies, which he called Avon Kelion, the Avenger, right, the New Testament. But they, brought, um, but they thought he said Evangelium. Right, so he said Avon Kilion, which I guess is supposed to mean lies or something. And Avon Kilion, right? Oh, Avon Kilion. There you go. The yeah, sin yeah. of the sin of uh, destruction. destruction, and then that Avon Kilion became Evangelium.
it called Schneer Lyman or something like that. Yeah. So Schneer Lyman, I listen, I found the recording where Schneer Lyman talks about this. It's not a very clear recording, so it was hard to think. So Schneer Lyman says, like, he never believed any of these, this is like, not like, this doesn't make any sense. But then he found the original, because this is, you know, again, I don't know all the historical references that he's saying there, but he basically says that when he found the Diktuke Seifrim, the original version of this Rashi that I quoted before, it's clear that Rashi is quoting this version of Tehobus Yeshua Natsri, where it says that he gave them their ABC, that he wrote all the books. Remember, they don't have their own books. Right? Which books is he talking about? He's talking about the books in the New Testament, John and uh, who knows the names. Yeah. Does he have it? John, Matthew. Yeah, he, he writes. I think he. He writes here. Hold on. I might have the names here in English. Hold on. What's the original text of the Rashi? Right. <laughs> That's a later one. That's a later one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is the original text of Rashi, the way the Ketukah Sefim has it. It says, um, other people fix to them all the, all the, not all the books, all the Sifri to Usab, all the books of their mistakes, in other words, of their heresy. Yochanan, which is John, Paulus, Petrus, what are those? Is there a book of Paul, called Paul and Peter? Well, they, they were the writers. Uh, Matthew and this and that. Yeah, like Corinthians is written by yeah. Paul for sure. Behem Yehudim Hayu, Rashi, this is Rashi talking. They were Jews. What does it mean? The Gemara says that they don't have their own language. Loshen says Rashi, Loshen who grammatica. Loshen means grammar. Who are Loshen Shemadam Bayagalochim, which is the language which the priests talk. Behem Shinu Venomka Loshen Vaslam Hevel. They, meaning those Jews, changed for them the, the language and made it be nonsense. The Hashem, if they answer them, in order that they should become separate to remove them from the Jewish people. They themselves were not heretics. They were doing it for the Jew, for the good of the. They intended to do it for the good of the Jewish people. Um, because they saw the Jewish people suffering because of the. I'm not sure what that word means because of something to do with Yeshu. Also, they pretended as if they were with Jesus in the holiness. And they gave all these commandments. As all this is explicit, the Sipur Tlias Yeshu in the book or the story of Tlias Yeshu, which is probably a reference to Tovus Yeshu. So Rashi clearly had a version of this book called Tovus Yeshu, which incorporated within it. That this Shimon Hakalpais, or not Shimon, he doesn't mention the word, Rashi doesn't actually mention the word Shimon Hakalpais, but that Paul and Peter and all the, yeah, he says, John, Paul, Peter, that they were Jews who went in, who infiltrated Christianity and had a big part in giving them new ABCs, writing books of the New Testament and making them not keep mitzvahs um, to, 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 to move away from. Uh, from Judaism, and uh, and so what? Yeah, so Bemela, that's the Luchira. It seems that that's the Pshat in the call in the Megillas Tanis Basra. And um, again, I'm happy to find anybody the link to Ali Manning or to to, to to Professor what's his name again? Layman. Then Professor Shneer Layman. Um, thinks this is possible. Layman. Layman. Well, whether or not he believes what it says in Pelus Yeshu, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think, but he does believe that this is. A that this is an accurate version of the original Tehidus Yeshua. He says oh. the fact that it's it's quoted by Rashi, yeah. the fact that it's quoted by Rashi means that that this is actually what it says in Tehidus Yeshua. Oh, okay. Even though nowadays we only have it in one version of Tehidus Yeshua, but this, and this, that it's and, and that that's what Chazal probably meant. But not yeah. necessarily that this this theory that um, um, whether Shnei Lyman believes that yeah. sh that Peter and Paul would were an infiltrator. infiltrator Probably not, but I have no idea. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, then he goes on. Then he goes on a little bit to Nitalach. Okay, well, we're gonna leave that for now. All right.
Now, one more thing which I wanted to get back to, which I mentioned last week, and then move on to Shabbos Batamos, is so last week I mentioned that the Bnei Soscher says that the fact that Chazal made Tishabov into the fast, even though the main destruction happened on the 10th of Av, is because of the, the beginning, the, the temple, it was set on fire on the 9th, and the beginning is what counts. The Bnei Soscher associates that with the fast of Asari Batavis, where you see that the beginning of the downfall is what's what what counts. So I saw this week on the Shailameshiv, and Shailameshiv was the Rav, the, the Lemberger, who's the Rav of a city called Lavav, also it's, it's Lemberg, the Lemberger Rav. And Yosef Shalmatudson wrote very important Shavu Shailameshiv. So he also says the same thing, that, 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 that sorry, sorry, Batavis, both that, both by Asari Batavis and Batishabov, you see that the important um, stage to mark and um, practice morning is by the beginning of the of the destruction. Now, um, last week I mentioned that Rashi says explicitly in the Mishnah that on uh, his commentary to the Mishnah Megillah that if Asar Batavis were to fall on Shabbos, it would be postponed. And we, we said that that doesn't seem to fit with Abu Dharam. The Shalameshiv wants to th- synthesize between Rashi and Abu Dharam, and he comes up with a genius idea. He says, Rashi is commenting on the Mishnah. Now, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah that during the 70 years of Golos Bavel, uh, they, were, they would fast on these four fasts. Mm-hmm. But then in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the fasts were, 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 were not practiced. And then later they were reinstated. But the Gemara says there were two stages in, the reinst- in, in re- reinstating the fast. The first stage was that it was an optional fast, and then later when it became a time of more troubles, and then also for us, it was it was it was now now it is the fasts are mandatory. Right? Wait, wait. The fasts of a Sarbatavis, the possible nine, first, nine, ten, eleven. No, no, no. The fast of the fourth month, fifth month, seventh oh. month, and tenth month of Tammuz of Tishrei Tavis, right? Those four fasts which nowadays are obligatory to fast. There was a time um, during the second temple or after the second temple when those fasts were optional. Says the Shah of Rashi is commenting on the Mishnah, Mishnah Megillah. Mishnah Megillah says that if Tisha B'Av falls on Shabbos, it's pushed off. So Rashi says it's not just Tisha B'Av, all of the fasts. The Mishnah is written at the time when those fasts are optional. So obviously if the fast is optional and it falls on Shabbos, we're going to push it off. We're not going to fast on Shabbos, an optional fast. But that doesn't necessarily contradict that. But Raham, who says that nowadays, when the fasts are obligatory, if it were to fall on Shabbos, it would override Shabbos. Mm-hmm. So that was just a very interesting way to synthesize between the two, that, um, that uh, which is brought from the Shalom It's a fascinating. He starts off, <laughs> I don't know, he goes from one to the other. The Shiloh that he's addressing is, that the government made a law that it's illegal to get married under the age of 21, um, under the age of 20. And um, so the question is that according to Terry, you have to get married when you're 18. So do they have, what should they do, right? It's interesting because you have in the, uh, uh, certainly in some extreme places, perhaps even some not so extreme places where Jewish communities, where they would like their children to get married before the age that it's legal to marry in whatever country they're in, and um, it's a big, it's a big, <laughs> it's a question, whatever. Anyway, we're not, not going to get into that. Um, okay. It's a question of um, meaning if, if the Mahusadina. Well, I, I don't know if it's actually a question of the Mahusadina. I guess the question is how, to what lengths do you go to get married at the age that you think the tourist wants you to get married if it's a legal, right? Because you can get in big trouble with the law, right? So do you have. You have to go for Messiah Stefan, okay, whatever. It's, it's a topic for another time. All right. It sounds like, you know, an easy thing to, to pull off. Okay, you get a lot of married, you just don't get legally married. But I don't know how some of these countries work. Like here in the United States, it would be pretty easy to pull some, let's say, two 16 year olds get married. Right. right. But so the question is, that's illegal technically. Well, but what, 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 what if it's not a, officially married? What if it's an 18 year old and a 16 year old? That would be considered statute. Well, that that would be nice, that would be considered statutory rape, right? So even if it's consensual, it's not considered consensual, right? Anyway, all right. Now, 
Hmm? So here's. Oh, really? It depends on Alex. Okay, now we're, move, we're going to move on. We have only about 10, 10 minutes or so left. I, I, want to, I want to touch upon this, an, an interesting thing. The Gemara, the Pasuk says, so, so we have here, Steve, the Mishnah says, the Mishnah says that we fast on the 17th of Tammuz, and one of, for five reasons. One of the reasons is that that is when the wall was breached. Right? Now the problem is that if you look in the Pasuk in, in, in Yermia, in chapter 52, it says, And in the fourth month of the ninth day of the month, which is the ninth of Tammuz, that's when the city, the wall was breached. Right? And people said, etc. It's a long story, right? So what are we to do with this? And the Mishnah says that the wall was breached on the 17th of Tammuz, and the Pasuk says that it was breached on the ninth of Tammuz. So, what? I think I saw something very interesting about this once. Okay. So, but Pashtas, like saying it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So Bapashtas was the Mahlukas Bhavdi in The Gemara asked this question, the Babylonian, they call it the T B, they call it, yeah, Talmud Babylon, yeah, in the academic articles it's called TB, I think, or B T or T B. Anyway, yeah. The Gemara says the Gemara Bhavdi says that in the destruction of the first temple described in the book of Yermia, it was it was uh, they breached the wall on the ninth of Tamas. And in the destruction of the second temple, which is what the Mishnah is referring to, we fast on the 17th of Tammuz. Now we have to understand, why should that be the case? Why should we fast? Why would we be fasting more for the second temple than for the first temple? And by the way, with the fast of Asari Batavis, it's the other way around. We fast on the day that they besieged Jerusalem the first time, when the, when the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem, not when the Romans besieged Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? So, that, so, so one second, we'll get to that. On the other hand, the Yerushalmi asks the same question, the Jerusalem Talmud, and the Yerushalmi says, There was a mix-up. There was a mix-up of the dates. What does it mean that there was a mix-up of the dates? So the common way of understanding it, and this is, this, um, um, this is what Karben Aida says this in his, in his, on the page in the Yerushalmi, and this is also um, stated by Toysus. Um, I don't have... Uh, I don't remember exactly where the Toysus is. Yeah, Toysus is in Rosh Hashanah, Daphne Ches. Uh, Toysus says that, and that, that basically because of the, all the confusion and everything that was going on over there, that they, um, they had to kill, they probably mixed up with the dates. They got the dates a few weeks off. What? Who mixed it up? The Mishnah or, or the Pasuk? No, the, the, the Jews at the time. The Jews at the time that really, so essentially what the way Toysus is understanding it is, that actually, um, it, both by the first temple and the second temple, it actually occurred on the 17th of Thomas. Right. But the Jews at the time were all confused that they thought it was on the 9th of Thomas. And so the Pasuk, uh, they didn't want to sort of get them confused even more. So they said, okay, you think it's the ninth of Thomas, or sign the ninth of Thomas. Right, so, uh, right, so the, the, not the, the Navi himself. No, not that the Navi's confused. The, the Navi allowed something the, the, that was allowed... actually false to be written down. Yes, the Navi allowed that's the mistake a, to that's be That's what I find. Yes, so that the Navi allowed <laughs> the mistake. you're going to say. That's okay. <laughs> something interesting once about this. Yeah. I was like, when I saw this, I was like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> right. Now, but we had the same thing in part in this parsha that what the brothers told Yosef wasn't true. Yes, about what Yaakov told them, and yet the Torah put it down. It's that a, a, a false statement. And um, the, so, so this is classically always presented as a machlokes. The Jerusalem, the Bavli holds that the first temple was. In the, the first destruction, the wall was breached on the 9th of Thomas and the second temple on the 17th. And the Yishami holds that both were on the 17th, but the first time around, the Jews were all confused and they thought it was on the 9th, and the Navi sort of went with that. Um, the Turi Evan, in his commentary to Rosh Hashanah, he says that actually the, the Bavli agrees with the Yishami. The Bavli. Basically, what he's saying is that the Bavli holds that the, 
He says it can't be that the first temple it was destroyed on the ninth, because then we would fast on the ninth, like you see by Asura Batavis, that we that we fast mainly for what happened by the first destruction. Papa, why do we fast for, for what happened by the first destruction? So it all goes back to what we were just talking about before, that the first that, that the beginning we the beginning is always the most important thing, right? The beginning of the downfall. Asura Batavis, this one was the beginning. And like the Mufarshan point out. That the second temple wasn't a, re, a complete um, recuperation. There was as There were five things that were missing in the second temple. They didn't have the divine inspiration responding in the Cheshon and the Tumim. They didn't have the Aron. Five things missing. So, at the end of the day, the first destruction has ne- till today has never been until the building of the third base of Mikdash has never been um, replenished. replenished. So he says, nervous then. So he says, but we fast on the 17th of Tammuz because really that's when it happened. That's when it happened in both both in Mikdash. Like the Yerushalmi holds, that it, that that it really happened on the 17th, and um, we fast on. But and the 9th is just a mistake. So he says. So he says like this. The, the why does because because there's a certain severity to Tisha above because Huchbulat Saris. That because the 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 base Amikdash was destroyed both the first time and the second time in Tishbev, therefore has the severity that uh, you always have to pass over the whole Marashan and different times, like we said before. So he said, according to this, Shavas of the is also Kilkul Cheshbev Yisheshkan. Sorry, is also Huchbulat Saris. Sorry, yeah. Shavas of the also. If you if you say that in the first base Amikdash, the te- the wall was also breached on the fir- on the seventeenth of Tammuz, so Shemuz Tammuz also has that should have that severity that Tishbev has. So he says no, because the Navi himself allowed the mistake to be perpetuated. He didn't want to confuse them even more, and he allowed it to remain to be on the ninth of Tammuz. So therefore, the mission doesn't count it to be as a Hukhbalat Saris. Because the Mishnah also allowed, if the Navi allowed them to keep the mistakes, so we'll also allow them to keep the mistakes. The point being that the main point of the Torah Evan is that you see that he's not, not comfortable with this being a Machlaikus Bavli Yerushalmi, and he's trying to bring them together. Now, we're going to see in a minute another interesting way to bring the Bavli and the Yerushalmi together. The Masha is also, so this is a Masha. There's a Masha in Tanis, land of Tanis, for the Shabbat's Masha. So he gets into this whole thing about why we're fasting for the second temple and not for the first temple. And then he says that the, he brings us Yerushalmi of Kilkul Hashbainus. And he says, what does Kilkul Hashbainus mean? He says, Kilkul Hashbainus doesn't mean they made a mistake. There's no mistake. One of the decrees of, um, of, the, of, the, of the Babylonians and the Jewish people was against the mitzvah of Kiddush HaKadosh. They weren't allowed to keep the Jewish calendar. So they, instead of having Kiddush HaKadosh and keeping our, our lunar calendar, we were doing like the Goyim were doing, the counting the solar calendar. Now, what's the difference between the solar calendar and the, and the lunar calendar in a year? 11 days, right? 11 day, 11 day difference. Now, he says like this. Um, If there's 11 days difference in the whole year, then how much is the difference from the beginning of the year until Tammuz, which is three seasons? It's eight days, right? So it's not that Kilkul Chashboinus means that they made a mistake. Kilkul Chashboinus means that because of the decree against using the lunar calendar effectively, they were on a lunar, on a solar calendar, which was eight days ahead. And therefore, it was the ninth of the Tammuz according to the solar count, which is the seventeenth of the Tammuz according to the lunar count. Right? That's what the Masha says. And then the Masha goes into this whole thing about how the, 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 uh, uh, the significance of the non-Jews counting for the sun by the sun and the Jews counting by the moon. Now, based on this Masha, the Rebbe points out that <coughs> again, according to the Masha, we can say that actually there is no machlekas. I mean. The, the Masha doesn't say this explicitly, but it's kind of what he's saying, yeah? 
that there's no machlokes bound in Yerushalmi over here. The Yerushalmi is saying that it happened on the seventh that, that that it's on the seventeenth and it was on the ninth of Tammuz because that's the day they recorded in the Navi. And the Yerushalmi is explaining how this kilkul chashmonis. The Navi doesn't mean to say that it happened on the ninth of Tammuz on our on our real calendar. <coughs> <coughs> it just means to say that because at that time the Jewish people were being forced to use the solar calendar, but the solar calendar came out, which is at that time of the year, is eight days ahead. Mm-hmm. So it came out on the ninth of Thomas. Now, another important point to mention. So the Marsha mentions, by the way, that there's another problem here because the Navua of Yermia about the destruction, which is obviously about the first destruction, um, Talks about the Makal Shoki Naniroya, about the 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 that the destruction is coming very soon, like an almond. What's the connection to an almond? Because an almond, from when it blossoms until it uh, produces fruit, is twenty-one days, which refer to the twenty-one days between the seventeenth and the ninth of Tam of Av, right? Seventeenth of Tammuz and the ninth of Av is what we call the three weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, if you say that the destruction happened on the ninth of Tammuz, then what happens to the three weeks, right? So therefore. You have to say that actually it was three weeks. It was only the seventeenth of Tammuz and Kilbuchanishpainus, because that would be another problem with Yerushalmi, right? And interestingly, there is a blatant contradiction in Rashi's commentary to Nach, because in Rashi's commentary to Yermia, the first chapter of Yermia in the Apostle Yudbeis twelve, he says that the twenty Rashi explicitly. Translates this com- this prophecy of Yermia to be referring to the twenty one days from the seventeenth of Am- Tammuz when the city was breached until the ninth of Av when the temple was destroyed. Right. So, but then later on, when the pasuk itself says later on in Yermia that the wall, the, the city was breached on the ninth of, Ta- of Tammuz, Rashi doesn't say anything. So, what's going on over here? So clearly. According to Rashi, the two are not a contradiction. Rashi is perfectly comfortable with saying that the breach happened on the 17th of Tammuz and saying with the 9th of Tammuz. So we, there's different ways to answer Rashi. You could say that the Rashi holds like the Marsha, or alternatively, the rabbis suggest, say, based on the Diak and the Pesukim, that the, the, according to Rashi, there were two stages in the breach. There was the external wall and then the wall of the Beis HaMikrash, and, uh, or the Harabayas, and sort of that's the, those are the two walls being referred to. But again, According to Rashi, there's no contradiction between the Babli and the Yerushalmi. Both are true. And then finally, um, just to finish off with an important point. Oh, one second, one second, one second, one second. I mentioned before the Tashbits. The Tashmets also gets into this whole thing about why we're fasting on the for the 17th and on the 9th. But one thing that he says is that you see the Navi and Zechariah, we mentioned this last week, that the Navi and Zechariah refers to the fast by the by the month, not by the day. So he says the main thing is that you should fast in that month. So Mamela, yes, it's true, he says that in the first destruction it was in the ninth, and the second destruction was on the 17th. So you could say, oh, well, the first destruction is more important, we should be fasting on the ninth. But we're fasting in the same month, so it's fine. Doesn't matter. Now the Tashmish doesn't say this, but I, I, I think I alluded to this last week that we saw last week this machlokes between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Kiva what the fast of Tevis is. Rabbi Kiva holds that it's the tenth of Tevis when the city was besieged, and Rabbi Shimon holds that it's the fifth of Tevis when the report came to the diaspora. According to the Tashmits, by fasting on Asar Tevis, we're fulfilling both opinions, because even according to Rabbi Shimon. Uh, the fast is on the fifth of Teves for when the news came to the diaspora. We still, at least on some, to some extent, are fulfilling that, by commemorating that Avelos by fasting on the tenth of Teves. Okay. Just to finish off with two more points quickly. First of all, the Mogan Avram says, the Mogan Avram says like this. Um, this is the this is a point made by the Rebbe, Look at the volume of Ches, page three hundred nine at the bottom. It says like this: the Magen Avram says that a Balnefesh should fast on the ninth of Tavis as well. Sorry, on the, on the ninth of Tammuz as well, mm-hmm. because of the breach of the wall in the first base of Mikdash. And then it says Mihu. However, the Yerushalmi is. Um, 
that uh, on the Yushalmi, it says that the first destruction also, in the first place of Mithra, should also happen on the 17th of Tammuz. So it sounds like he's saying, for, it sounds like initially he's saying, oh, if you're very pious, you should fast on the 9th of Tammuz. And then he's saying, no, actually, you don't need to because um, the Yushalmi says it, um, it happened, it all, both times happened on the 17th of Tammuz. So what do you mean? Like we always follow if when there's Machlekes Bavli and Yerushalmi, we always follow the Bavli. So the Rebbe says that based on all these different svaras that we mentioned to synthesize between the Bavli and Yerushalmi, that actually everybody agrees that it happened on the 17th of Tammuz. It makes sense what, what the Marsh, what the Mogan Avraham means. He says, based on that Yerushalmi, you see that it didn't really happen on the 9th of Tammuz. There's a Kilko Cheshbonus that happened on the 17th. And the Bavli also agrees to that, to, 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 to that difference. And Bavela, um, even if you're a Baal Nefesh, you could still have breakfast on the 9th of Thomas.